This week's episode of the Film Lovers Podcast is brought to you by our friend David Ryan Anderson. Did you know he has a second podcast? And did you also know he does this podcast with his brother, whose name is Evan? They've titled this podcast appropriately. They call it Anderson Brothers, the Internet Explorers. And the premise of the show is that they explore the weird corners of the Internet. They've looked at flat earthers. They've looked at web Nazis. They've looked at the Montauk Boys. I don't know what a Montauk Boy is, and you probably don't either, which is all the more reason to listen. So David did not pay us for this ad, but we just love doing these pre-ads to let you potential sponsors know that we can do it. So uh, in addition to that, we got a great episode for you. We are diving in deep to the Oasis, putting on our VR headsets, and entering into the wonderful world of Ready Player One. Casey is out of control this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. And without any further ado, let's hand it over to Forrest Gump and the guys. I'm not a smart man. But I know what love is. Love is a many splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Love is, is too weak a word for I love you. You know, I loathe you. I, I love you. No. Two Fs, yes. I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. And welcome, everyone, to the Film Lovers Podcast. How are you guys doing? I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Russell Dietrich. Over there to my right, he is currently wearing a VR headset. His name is Casey Summers. Yeah, and then David Anderson, Ryan Anderson, is right in front of me. Yeah, oh yeah. And and over there, still trapped in a city formerly known as Chicago, currently the Oasis, it's David Ryan Anderson. Casey, it's like you're it's like you're right in front of me here. <laughs> Guys, these VR headsets are so Cool. I can't believe that we're podcasting in the Oasis right now. <laughs> I actually like the stacks better. I'm I'm out. David, uh, putting on a Jessica Rabbit mod was an interesting choice. Why did you do that? <laughs> I got to be who I am. Yeah. No, actually, my mod right now is uh, Elton John because <laughs> I sold out. Oh, why did you sell got out? Movie Pass. Oh yay! yay! Welcome yep. to paradise. I'm part of the cult. <laughs> wow! Enjoy it while it lasts. Man, your your life has just gotten exponentially better. <laughs> Wait, are you done with all your gift cards? Uh, um, I, I still have a few, but I figured I should get Movie Pass now before they jack the prices up or do something. Um, yeah, you got in good. Yeah, it's cheaper than it's ever been. How many movies have you seen? Well, I haven't. It's still in the mail. I haven't gotten it yet. I just signed up for it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Chicago doesn't have a ton of e-ticketing yet. So. Oh, they don't. No, we're pretty lucky in that regard. Oh man, our main theater has e-ticketing through Movie Pass. The best. And our art theater, mm. we wow. can watch every good movie that comes our way. MoviePass.com. Your business model is great, Movie Pass. But guys, what mod would you be? So David's Jessica Rabbit. I don't. I would rather not be Jessica Rabbit. Or oh, Elton who John. who would you? Be? I'd probably be. Uh, Cause I'm deep in Legend of Zelda, I would probably be Link if I could like I guess, yeah. mod a character in the Oasis. The twelve-year-old me would definitely be Wolverine. Oh, Wolverine's a good one. That's fun. Interesting. I don't know what the thirty-eight-year-old me wants to be. I need more time to think about it. You'd be like Richard Roper. 
Just like some Richard uh, boring <laughs> what you think of me? film critic. Is that what you think of me, Russ? <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to treat you like you treat David this episode. It's on. Bring it. <laughs> David, um, who would, what, would your mod, pick my, what would your mod be? My mod, uh, if I was a kid, I would probably want to be one of the velociraptors from Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, I'm positive, yeah. Jurassic Park was on Sci-Fi today, so I watched the uh, famous Jello scene. Oh gosh, here we go, Jurassic Park. And man, it's such. Are you guys baiting case- me? Did you really bring up Jurassic Park? Or are you baiting me? No, no, I, I, I really, br- I sincerely would be a Velociraptor. You guys need to start a Jurassic Park podcast. <laughs> you're because you two to one here, Casey. Talking you're the only it. one. JPLP. <laughs> <laughs> Casey, when was the last time you watched Jurassic Park? The nineties, probably. Yeah. Let's could we rewatch it and Get, yeah. I think you change your mind. Yeah, try it again. Uh, it's a waste of time. Okay, anyway. Casey, uh, oh, the Casey. reason we're talking about um virtual reality mods and artificial well, we weren't talking about artificial intelligence, but the raptors seem artificially intelligent. Um, is because today we are diving deep into ready player one, Steven Spielberg's return. To pop culture dominance. It had a great opening weekend in the box office, but was recently dethroned by A Quiet Place. Um, really? Was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Quiet Place raked in 50 mil. Um, wow. But, uh, you know, we like to be a week late and a dollar short, so we're reviewing Ready Player One <laughs> now. Um, so, yeah, you, you guys uh, excited to get into that? I am. I have a lot to say. Me too. But before we talk about Ready Player One and why we love it and hate it, let's dive into America's favorite segment. It's time for Discuss. Tom Cruise is a perfectly adequate actor who gets great movies. His best asset being the fact that he has no personality at all, from which movies, (laughs) movies have a blank slate from which to build their story off of discuss interesting i'm against this discussion topic oh i know this is for both of you this feels this feels related to that um the denzel washington discuss topic we did it does on whether or not denzel washington is actually a great actor or just a good actor who gets good roles except except um denzel washington is actually esteemed I'm not sure Tom Cruise is as esteemed as you guys think he is, or as, you, as much as you guys esteem. Okay, him. Tommy had some issues with Kate. Uh, was it uh, Katie Holmes? Katie Holmes and, and Nicole Kidman, and the whole Scientology thing, and the whole like Oprah couch thing. <laughs> the fact so, that there's a cult that has slaves devoted to him thing. So, what alleged? Those are allegations. <laughs> um, he was esteemed for many decades. What's his personality? Describe his personality to me. He is, he is just um, an avatar for an attractive, <laughs> short, white Hollywood actor. Tom Cruise is magnetic. He's charismatic. He's got range. Those he'll, are all very general he'll make descriptions. You yeah. You're not telling me anything about I, his personality. I, I, he'll make you cry. Actors, I tend to agree. He's the Manchurian candidate is what he is. No, actors yeah. are comedians. Tom are chameleons. Sorry. Tom Cruise could be anyone you want him to be. Oh, I I I actually think that Casey is onto something here. So Christian Bale 
based his performance in American Psycho off of seeing Tom Cruise on television. <laughs> exactly. Because he said that, exactly. He said Tom Cruise Amen. appeared to be a man who was very charismatic and charming and all these things, but had absolutely no inner life. Yes. And he wanted to mimic that for nope. the movie. My point exactly. And you described, you were much more articulate with my point than I was, David. Bravo. <laughs> nope. That being said, I think that Tom Cruise has delivered some very good performances and is just so willing to put his body through whatever it takes to get like like physical performances. He's good at the emotional performances. I I still have a lot. I mean, he's good at comedy. He's good at drama. He is he's just a very well-rounded kind of guy. Like I would say he is a good actor, even if as a human being, like who knows what's going on with him and he He's elite. You know, he seems brainwashed. You're totally agreeing with me, David. Thank you. Of kind of, but I, I agree a little with bit you. With you, have him, you have him trapped in a corner in the VR world we're in. You're holding a VR knife to his throat right now that people can't see because it's a podcast. <laughs> no, because I'm, I'm evaluating Tom Cruise everything He's you, a very good actor. Everything you just said is undermined by Tom Cruise's performance in Tropic Thunder, which showed... I said the comedy. Which showed all of us that Tom Cruise, he gets it he knows what's going on he knows his perception and he's capitalizing on it and like i said i think tom cruise is in a bit of a lull right now he's kind of in this mission impossible jack reacher mummy rut but yeah dude i tell you what when he's not able to do those action movies anymore he's gonna have an amazing second or it'd probably be like his fifth career honestly like all the phases of tom cruise and you'll see he's gonna be Doused in Oscars, and I'm gonna be so happy, and you're gonna seem so dumb. <laughs> no, see, I also he's very agree with good. Russ there. He's just not great. He's great. Okay, here, can I present this question? What do you yeah. think about Jeff Goldblum? Because I think Jeff Goldblum <laughs> is a one. He's got one shtick, but he delivers excellent performances in everything. You're totally I changing. You, you just changed the, the topic, David. Completely. Thank you for changing the topic to something much more legitimate than Casey's inflammatory no no, I'm, but no I, I'm asking this because I'm curious what Casey is using to define a good actor I think J Jeff Goldblum is a is he's similar caliber but he's more of a character actor he's because he doesn't carry movies like Tom Cruise does sure okay. um so I think Jeff Goldblum is very good at doing the Jeff Goldblum thing but I, I mean let's go to your guys's all-time favorite movie ever Jurassic Park <laughs> in the 90s when it came out I thought I thought that was a bad performance I thought I think Jeff Goldblum actually overacts, which is part of his shtick. Discuss. <laughs> I think Jeff Goldblum is just being Jeff Goldblum, honestly. But I, it's, which it's looks like, like overacting. <laughs> no, I wish I, think I could remember the line exactly in Jurassic what Park he needs to when do. he's in the helicopter. Because thirteen-year-old me thought, "Oh, he is really overacting right now." Oh my! Casey was a snob even as a child. <laughs> Oh, man, I was total snob about Jurassic Park when it came out. I was yeah. very disappointed in Steven Spielberg. I thought wow. he was better than that. Come on. He had such classic lines like, yeah, but John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, <laughs> the pirates don't eat the tourists. Exactly. That's awesome. You're proving my point again. You guys just also, keep proving my point. No, the point is Let's that go Jeff, faster. The point is that Jeff Goldblum is great at delivering classic, iconic lines, just like Tom Cruise. This has gone off the rails. We should start discussing Ready Player One. Jeff, this is off the rails. Can we just think about Jeff Goldblum's performances? He gave us the fly. He gave us Malcolm. I didn't introduce Jeff Goldblum to the discuss <laughs> section. Tom Cruise segment. gave us Maverick. 
That okay, alone. Okay, okay. No, we don't have to list that all. That does not make him a great that actor. That alone enshrines him in Hollywood. He gave us Ron Kovich. That's like saying Schwarzenegger's a great actor because he gave us Terminator. He gave us Lestat. Come on. That shows so that, gave is, us that a might lot be of his best role. Lestat so might be his best role. Actually, no. Magnolia mm. is probably his best. Lestat's his second Tom Cruise gave definitely. us Ethan Hunt, and he's given us. Ethan Hunt's nothing. Ethan Hunt is truly a, bl- a, a blank slate. He's a spy. That's exactly what a spy needs to be. A spy the, needs to be a chameleon, just like an actor needs to be a chameleon. But when you watch no, the Americans, I like, those two have personality. No. Uh, yeah, I, every time you watch a Tom Cruise movie, you are happy watching it. That don't is a speak great, for me. No, speak for yourself. You will be I've happy. I go to the theater. People are smiling. People are having a good time. He's just... he's. <laughs> He's what? He's Russ what just likes be. to walk the aisles during a Tom Cruise movie. I think I have Russ backed into a corner. What do you think, David? I've never left a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> a rhetorical corner. Here's the final word. <laughs> Tom Cruise, you had me at hello. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of between both of you on this Tom one. Tom Cruise, show me the money because you've made tons making great movies. This is Russell speaking. All right. Wow. Oh, man. So is Tommy, what, what's his name, Wasau. He's made a lot of mo- money <laughs> off of one movie. Okay, you're just getting crazy <laughs> now. So. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm done with this topic, so that was... Discuss. All right. <laughs> are, you, are you enjoying this podcast, Russ? Yeah, this has been my least favorite episode so far. <laughs> and now let's continue the crap fest because we're going to talk about a movie that I feel deeply conflicted about this mm. movie is hey, ready can i be saul goodman <laughs> in the oasis can that be my <laughs> yeah you can be saul goodman all right so i'm saul goodman i'm link you're Wait, saul... what did you say originally he said wolverine because uh, wolverine. Oh, i'm watching okay. better call saul now and i'm a huge saul goodman fan so i'm Man, link what a trajectory for your life to go from wolverine <laughs> to saul goodman what does okay, that say about, about you? mike uh what's his name airman trout Airman Trout, can I be him? So I'm like Wolverine. I'm Link. You're Saul Goodman, and David's Jessica <laughs> Rabbit. So I'm a Velociraptor. Uh, a Velociraptor wearing Jessica Rabbit's red dress. <laughs> All right, I'll take what I can get. And uh, like a red wig. So, <laughs> film lovers, just imagine us. We're in the Oasis right now in these avatars, and we're having a good time. So, <laughs> as I was saying, though, we are here to discuss Ready Player One. As I said earlier, Steven Spielberg's return to pop culture prominence. And um, for those of you that haven't seen it, the basic premise of Ready Player One is it stars the dying girl, Olivia Cooke, baby Cyclops, Ty Sheridan, and the big friendly giant, Mark Rylance. And the premise of the movie is that the world has gone to doo-doo as it's going to. You know, fossil fuels are gone and the world's really bad. So... People have escaped the troubles of the world through this new kind of what's that called? Like an M M P P R R G G O P. Yeah, no, not not at all. An M M O R P G, a massive multiplayer online role playing game. Right, but it's more like than world that too, because it's also like it has that component, but it also has kind of a virtual reality society where you. It's like it's Second Life meets World of Warcraft. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And basically, um, baby Cyclops and the dying girl. And Aziz Ansari's cool friend from uh, The Master of None, they're trying to find this Easter egg left by the creator of the Oasis, who when he died, he basically willed the program to whoever could find these three Easter eggs. The movie's based by on solving a, a bunch of challenges. 
Right. A bunch of nerdy challenges. The movie is based on a book by Ernst Klein and also called Ready Player One. And I thought we should listen to a quick trailer. What do you guys think? Real, real fast. Master of None. What's the Master of None reference? Lena, Lena Waithe. She's from Master of None. Wait, what is she in, in Ready Player One? Uh, she's H. The girl, the yeah. love interest, she's a master of no, 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 his, no, no, no. his best friend, H. Oh, got it. Yeah. She drives the I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. She's in Master of None. All right, all right. You well, can cut that if you want. I, I might if it works. Yeah, that might be a little spoilery or something, even though it's on all the posters. My name's Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego, like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid, my mom too. And I ended up here. Sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. But they stay because of all the things they can be. Can you feel this? Um, yeah. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. Guys, that was a great trailer, wasn't it? <laughs> Um, so just to be clear at this point in the episode, this is a full spoiler episode. So if you've not seen Ready Player One, Russ's favorite, pause this episode, go see the movie and then come back and listen to our, um, mid-level insights. Hey Russ, um, what surprised you the most in Blade Runner 2049 in the story? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ryan Gosling's a robot. Hey, can I say... Blade Runner 2049, Ready Player One, both set in 2040s, both both dystopian. Yeah, I actually thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about both those. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, <laughs> why? Because they're both they're both like set in the same decade, David. Yeah, you dummy. They're like very sure. different um, approaches to dystopias. What are the chances to have two movies released in the same year set in the 2040s? The 2040s are right around the corner. It makes perfect sense. Um, before we get ahead of ourselves, how about we start out this conversation with what we liked about Ready Player One, Steven Spielberg's latest opus. Casey. Oh, man. I really like this movie. Um, Steven Spielberg was the perfect person to direct this movie. I, if, to me, as someone, as a Gen Xer, someone who remembers the 80s vividly, this movie felt like it had just that joyousness of um, the 80s. Um, it, I love the pop culture references. For me, this movie was a celebration of like 80s and 90s pop culture. And I just really enjoyed it. And I think Steven Spielberg did a great job. It was reminiscent of old Steven Spielberg for me. Stop rolling your eyes, David. All right. David, it's an audio podcast, so you need to go, I roll, I roll. <laughs> I roll. So David, uh, you're vocalize my thoughts. Your Raptor avatar is eye rolling a lot. What what's going on? Is it a glitch? Well, this is the section where we talk about what we liked about the movie. 
Yeah, so you don't have anything go, to say? <laughs> go ahead and respond to me. <laughs> I, um, you know, I think this movie is uh, better than the book, uh, but I really dislike the book. Yeah. Uh, I, you know what I really appreciated about the movie is what? the fact that all of the lame pop culture challenges in the book were gutted and replaced with the surprisingly character-centric challenges of sort of deconstructing the life of James Halliday, the creator of this virtual world, to try to find, like, the lessons and the themes that he's left behind, kind of, for the for the characters to pick up on. And that felt... In a way, I don't know if this is just me, but it felt like the book was about a geek geeking out about the 80s. The movie felt like it was about Steven Spielberg and what he had to say about being the guy who makes the stuff people geek out about. That's an interesting read. Well, because like in the movie, it feels like the main, like the character that they care the most about is Halliday, the guy who makes this stuff, who seems like a Steven Spielberg Oh, and like Spielberg was kind of able to project a lot of that onto Mark Rylance. Yeah, like that stuff is not in the book for the most part. True. I don't know if I see that. I I mean, I see the importance of Steven Spielberg directing this. I don't think it's hard for me to overstate how important it is that Steven Spielberg not only directed this, but it was like good. And it felt like an 80s yeah. or 90s movie. The the one problem is that, important. to David, is that Ernst Klein and Zach Penn wrote the screenplay. Sure, but Steven Spielberg produced it. Yeah, so, yeah that's true. I wish it, I wish there was a way to like be in the room for those meetings, like to see how much of it... Uh, I don't know. I, I love a th- authorial intent, so it'd be cool to like hear more on that like how much did spielberg influence the script russ is wondering how much influence kathleen kennedy had on this film <laughs> speaking of kathleen kennedy her and spielberg are friends so i imagine she probably had a pushed, lot of influence she on probably it. pushed him around she imposed her vision on this film you know what she couldn't do though she couldn't fire him for his vision so we got the movie well okay nobody fires spielberg nobody let's fires. be real <laughs> hashtag feel no one's fires spielberg <laughs> Uh, okay, so for example, like my favorite part of this movie was The Shining, uh, the part where they great go part. into The Shining. Oh, that was, that was amazing. That was a great part. I felt, I, I didn't know how to feel at first. I felt a little sacrilegious almost. Yeah, I had the same feeling. I was like, this is wrong. This is wrong. Yeah, like to have like the blood coming out of the elevator and this giant CGI dude like fumbling around like, boo, 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 no, and, like falling over in the blood. I was like, I will never be able to watch that scene again the same way. Yeah. But I uh, thought it was hilarious, though, by the way. David, I, I thought it was so- hilarious. I took solace in the fact that Spielberg and Kubrick were friends. And like they were right. close enough that Kubrick left AI to Spielberg, which he totally butchered. But um, nah, I don't think. So that kind of like, I, I just reminded myself, okay, they're buds. I still don't know if Spielberg or if Kubrick would have been into it, but he's dead. So, man, you don't get much more opposite directors than Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg. They are, they just seem like the opposite yeah. ends of a spectrum to me. Like one is just so like artsy and intellectual and detached. And the other is so um, into classic Hollywood cinema, blockbusters, 
traditional storylines where you really connect emotionally with characters, especially yeah. children. I think Kubrick, though, he gets accused of being detached a lot. I don't think he was ever detached. Like, he always seemed disappointed by, at least from what I've read, like, he always seemed disappointed by people not getting. Like, he, I think he felt like he was making very human movies. His most human movie was Spartacus, which we we always say is like the least Kubrick. Kubrick <laughs> I the think one he had the least uh, creative control. I over. think it's um, Full Metal Jacket, actually. But oh, that's, that's I, good. I think that's I think Kubrick point. makes human movies, but I, I just think that they're more complicated. Yeah, sort of. I do. I do stuff. think Kubrick but, and Spielberg they overlap in terms of their reverence for the craft, because like yeah. yeah, they're they're both they both push the medium forward in their own way. I, I think you're right. Spielberg did it more as a more from the popcorn, whereas Kubrick was more uh, quinoa. And I don't mean that in a critical way. It's quinoa, I don't totally understand. Kubrick is quinoa chips. I, I don't totally understand it, but I used to be more critical and snobby about Spielberg. But for some reason, in the in the last five years, I've just really grown to love him more and okay. more. Embargo. Well, the reason we're gonna do the reason I bring wait, David. Oh, we're gonna do an, a podcast embargo. We will not record again until you watch Jurassic Park. No way. Hey, <laughs> what? Hey, guys. You won't even give it the time? Hey, should we get a moment of silence for the 50th anniversary for 2001 before we move back to our, our topic at hand? Sure, but let's not do a moment of silence. Let's do that creepy. Somebody do a howl impression. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't remember that, to be thank honest. Can somebody good. do a howl impression? You don't remember that part there. of the movie? Like the creepiest. It was like. I, I saw 2001 yeah. not soon after, not too long after I saw Jurassic Park in the 90s. Casey talks a big game, but he honestly doesn't remember 93% of the stuff he's watched. Discuss. That's true. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of stuff. Anyway, David, what did you like about Ready Player? Wait, yeah, moment of silence for uh, 2001. <laughs> David, uh, you're laughing during the moment Dave, of silence. That's disrespectful. What is wrong with you? David, I'm going to open the hatch door and you're going to get sucked out. All right, David, did you finish your thought about Dave. Ready Player One? Sorry, the Kubrick. reason the reason I bring that scene up was just to say it felt too, it felt too obviously like who would Steven Spielberg, if he wanted to pick a movie to reference like really hard, what would Steven Spielberg choose? And he, I feel like he would choose a Kubrick movie and he would choose The Shining. Just would make sense because like that movie does not actually lend itself to the stuff they wanted to do with it in the plot like going through like this horror like like this that. haunted house type thing like it they made it work but there are much better movies that could have been chosen for that scene than that was in the book no in, it the was book, not in the book in the book the movie's war games that he and then Monty, and Monty python and Monty python which, oh, and the man girl. this is much more highbrow than the the examples in the book. Uh, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say highbrow. I think the book is much more. It's a bit more esoteric. Where I think The Shining has more pop culture capital. Is like a famous. I loved how it was Halliday's eleventh favorite horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that was a nice touch. That was like the the big thing I noticed. Kind of reflecting on the book a little was um, the references were much more. I had forgotten. A lot of the book and the the references Spielberg went with were just a lot more, I think, uh, readily available to the average viewer versus like, yeah, um, really deep cut D and D references or joust, right? Yeah, 
But the, I, I did I did appreciate that they did keep in um what's the game? Adventure, right? Yeah, uh, it's adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end. Which is like visually right. like, you know, pretty basic. But um I, I was happy they kind of kept that certain elements of it. Did you guys Yeah, in- I appreciated the 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 stripping down like thematically of like because adventure is referenced at the very beginning of the book as like, look, look at this thing. Like this is this is a game where the creator just hid something in here and wanted you to ha- like enjoy the game to find it. Right. And that is taken and made the climax of the movie to really push the theme home. Whereas in the book, that's not that's not really the theme. That's that's just a throwaway bit of trivia in the book. So like I think Spielberg I don't I mean, we don't know exactly his role in the production of the movie like so, script-wise. But it just seemed like that was a refinement of the story and what it was trying to communicate. Yeah, it could have um, it could have been too Ernst Klein getting nostalgic and like trying to pay homage to to this amazing direct. Like I I can only imagine that Ernst Klein was probably losing his mind that he got to work with Spielberg, you know, like Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I think sometimes um when you're trying to adapt a a story from a book to a film you just need to make certain changes for it to adapt well right. and that just might yeah, be yeah. one of those and that, and that was probably zach penn's role in the duo but i'm just thinking of it's now like ernst klein like isn't this like hollywood staple like he he just kind of got his break later in life from ready player one so it is really cool that he got to work with this like iconic director from the era that he was clearly super passionate about i'm jealous Hey, do you guys notice yeah. the the old Batmobile in that first yeah. chase scene? Wasn't yeah, that awesome? Yeah, cool. the... yeah, there's See, I don't get jazzed by that stuff that much though. I don't know. I The DeLorean? It was like neat. Like Did, that didn't affect you emotionally seeing the DeLorean? I grew up in the era of like Robot Chicken where like there those scenes are like a dime a dozen. Mm. Man, that's like the saddest thing you ever said yeah that's depressing that I, moment every, of silence every episode you tell me i've said the saddest thing the sadness that's of like uh that's like hashtag millennial sadness right there like you've just been so <laughs> inundated that i'm used to seeing pop culture mashups i have i have one more huge strength for this movie okay go ahead yeah yeah mark rylance he's so yeah. great he made the movie so oh, much better casting him was a huge decision to make it made the movie way better he was the soul of the movie. He was. Okay, I'm going to If he was not if he didn't if he wasn't uh, available to give that movie a certain weight, I don't think people would have liked it as much. He played the, he he played that role so well. I'm a huge Mark Rylance fan though. I think Yeah, he's he's won me over. I think maybe you guys can help me with this. I had trouble with him because I know like what a prestigious like He's like a high class, like British oh, yeah. theater actor. He really is. So I had a hard time buying him as a legitimate nerd, and I actually found his performance a little like, uh, uh, not offensive. That's too strong of a word. But like, <laughs> if I was a, I mean, I'm very cool, so I'm not a nerd. But if I was a nerd, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm uh, I would be, I would be a little bit like. He's just playing a nerd. He's not actually a nerd. You know, um, you know I, I really you know, like that, that. That reminds me of um, your critique that Michael B. Jordan performed poorly as Killmonger, and I just don't get it. 
For what it's, I will no, say this though. That's different. It's a different. No, actually, in rewatching Black Panther, I was looking out for that, and I was like, I was like, I kind of see what Russ is talking about. He he does a lot of mugging wait, wait, and stuff wait. at times. D- D- uh, D- <laughs> oh, David, that felt so good. Russ's hashtag Russ's law. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I I just felt like Mark Rylance is not that guy at all. He's not. I agree. Yeah, it's called not. acting, Russ. No, I know. And I Tom Cruise doesn't have like, a soul either, but he managed. I feel to like it in off. terms of acting, since he's so far removed from that kind of person, it, yeah. in his performance, it seemed like he was going off notes that people gave him, not not from like the deep experience of being <laughs> a loser. You know, I don't see it. I don't know. I think because that I, guy's been a winner his whole life. I don't know, man. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was the best part of that movie. I think honestly. it was just like his like kind of Bill and Ted voice he would do at times, and it just kind of threw me uh, a little bit every now and then. Okay. I thought it was really effective so, and really nuanced performance. So, I liked him better okay, so as his here, avatars than I did as. Um, no, no way. So I, I enjoyed his performances more as the avatars than as a human as uh, Halliday. But that's just me. I'm not gonna like die on a hill. I I think he did a good job. There were just some key moments where I was like, "This feels a little um, stereotypy." I think the part where he's talking about going backwards, he's like, "Let's go back with pedal to the pedal metal, to the drive metal. as fast yeah, as you can." Exactly. That part felt a little much. Yeah. But can we also talk about the nature of the challenges in the movie? Because like, the overall message basically is like that this was a guy who was just a dreamer. He was trying to build. He loved designing. He loved crafting these worlds for people to come and participate in and enjoy. And he is like overwhelmed by the sudden level of responsibility and stuff that has been thrust on him because he has built this, this world that is now so important to people. And what I read that as was, I mean, I, I don't know if this is true, but this is how I felt as I was watching the movie is it felt like Steven Spielberg saying basically like this is Steven Spielberg and this is his friends. Like they are people who are just kids who dreamed up stuff. It caught on with popular culture. And now like they're these weird pop culture gods who have to be yeah. accountable for it. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it felt like a movie about Steven Spielberg to me. More, more than anything else. That's really interesting. I mean, I think that particular point you're making is, is really interesting because I think that's probably true for guys like Spielberg and Lucas and Scorsese yeah. is probably what you have in mind. Um, but yeah. I, like that never occurred to me. I mean, I mean, the obvious analogy is Steve Jobs and Wozniak, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, I mean, was that, was that obvious to you guys as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, that's it's there in the book. pretty overt. It's there in the book also. Yeah. yeah. I think he probably even said something to the effect of, they were like the Steve Jobs and Wozniak of MPM PRGs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you know, also, right. the reason that I say this is because it stood out to me that that stuff is not in the book, and it, but it is in the movie. So it just felt even more like, okay, what has Spielberg brought to this project? And that was the kind of stuff that was new that... yeah really worked. It, w- so it I, would have so- been weird if like uh Spielberg died during like post production and then this got released as like his farewell <laughs> opus. That would have been pretty trippy. Yeah. I'm glad he's not dead cuz I I hope he makes more yeah. great movies, but or at the end the fact that like Halliday he, he just like 
gets his brain uploaded to the Oasis. He just, like, wants to hang out there and, like, live in this dream world. Like, yeah. is that is there no more poetic, you know, image of a, a, a filmmaker? Yeah. Okay, for the sake of time, we didn't really talk about what I liked about the movie. <laughs> but um, just know that I did like things in the movie. Okay, I'll say... I'll say this. Give I, us one. Give us one. I loved Act One. I thought it did a masterful job of um, establishing the world for people that had no background with the book. And okay. I was just like, I was in it. I was feeling good, feeling giddy. I thought the narration was really well done. It was a good balance of like him explaining things, but also just like the visualization of the world. I thought. Um, just like hit it for me in terms of how I was imagining it in my mind when I was reading the book. So, um, yeah, I, I loved the, I'm, you know, I struggle with the whole Polar Express kind of vibe, but um, <laughs> I thought it, it worked really well for this movie. I think the it made yeah. sense for this movie. Yeah, I agree that they leaned that, into it. That is that first scene in the stacks. I haven't read the book, so I didn't know really what to expect. That, but that first scene in the stacks. Looks like a a vision in a movie straight out of the eighties. It like, reminded me of the opening of Back to the Future. Yeah, like well, we, in yeah, the last episode yeah. we talked about Back to the Future and Pee Wee's Playhouse, or so eighties yeah, and nineties. Did it the lo- pan? Yeah, it looked like something out of the mind of like Robert Zemeckis or yeah. somebody like that. Steven Spielberg, even um, who did Go- <laughs> who did Goonies or something out of Goonies? Spielberg. Or- Goonies didn't do Spielberg. Uh, Goonies. Spielberg. Goonies didn't Wait, do didn't Spielberg. He? Spielberg didn't do Goonies. Wait, who did Goonies? I think that uh, that kid actor directed it. I think uh, Corey Feldman directed Goonies. Corey Feldman did not direct it. He He's like a preteen at the time. Oh, Steven Spielberg wrote the story. And then Chris Columbus wrote the screen- screenplay. Richard Donner directed it. Oh, okay. That's oh, okay. Good job, Richard Donner. He's also made movies like Superman and David's favorite movie, Lady Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wait. So on on the Cheap that, shot. that wavelength uh, you were just talking about with the opening. So the Oasis in the book is very boring. I have to say, like yeah, this is a good segue. Happens. Let's talk about what we didn't like. And um, no, but I think in the movie they they actually fulfilled a lot of the promises of what the Oasis could be. Yeah, and I think that's a positive. Yeah, but let's get negative. Um, you know, we're lovers, but we're also haters. So. Why don't you start, Russ? Um, I don't want to start. I'll I'm, start. I'm still thinking. I'll start. I have a lot to say. But uh, to be fair, David and I, we have read the book. Um, I was rereading it a little bit today just to refresh my memory. Casey hasn't read the book, so we're going to be coming at it from some different angles. But uh, yeah, David, yeah. what 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 were the your, okay, so your issues? This movie, I was so excited to watch because... I was like, the book is about nothing. The book is all pop culture stuff. It's supposed to be about, like, you got to go live the, live in the real world and whatever. But it's not actually about that stuff. And I was like, Spielberg's doing the movie. He is going to figure out how to take that premise and fulfill the, all the promise of that premise. And up front and that opening scene, I was, like, really digging it. But the movie, it, cha- it makes a lot of great changes, but it doesn't change enough things. Because the characters... Almost every, the entire main cast are no, they're empty characters. Who are these people? Why is the main character, everybody's like, 
oh, Wade or whatever your name is, you're the only one who's going to win this thing because you're the only one who understands this guy. And I'm like, why? Why is he the only one? And then you got when like was, when this was Artemis this girl who's like... Because he's, uh, he's an orphan with too much time on his hands. No, but why is he the only person like that? No, he's the underdog. That was never a that was never a stated expectation of the film. He's an orphan. Yes, with it was too much time on. When his was hands. that stated? But after he it made was stated the, by won the, the first key. by the Artemis girl, she says that, that directly. That's a quote. After he won the key, right? That's why he was the first. After he wins the first key, but no, yeah. but it's af- so that's it's exactly actually... why the story explains that point. Because nobody had no, ever even why, gotten. How is that reflected in his character, though? All we know is he's a guy who just. The book, like the movie, is like, and then he's he's the only one who figured it out because he got lucky or something. Well, it's kind but of then like they're like, Russ, nope. It's kind of like what Russ was saying. He's an orphan. He's got a lot of time in his hands. He doesn't have a lot to hope for except for this challenge. And um, literally and everybody so he, in he the makes movie himself is an, an expert of this world, <laughs> and he's an underdog. And the reason why he becomes the chosen one is because nobody even came close to winning the first key, and he won the first key, and that's why he's the guy. It, it's, David, but, it, it, do, what, wouldn't it make so much more sense to actually bake some of that into who he is as a person? Like, who is he? I just explained it. He's nobody. His character you. is nothing. I think that's the whole point. Isn't that like the American, the whole American ideal that a nobody could go from rags to riches? I don't know. I don't know what you're yeah, looking for. There must be for. a reason. I don't know what you're looking for. He didn't have a family. He's got an abusive, like he's got his aunt who um, has a hard that's life. That's the entire or, world, though. And that's the whole he's living world in that poverty. he lives in. Um, and so That's his hope is to in the oasis. I don't know what else you're. What are you looking for? What what more you would it for? would it have been better? Okay. for the movie to focus on someone that didn't that like if it was from the perspective of someone observing Wade Watts. So like you get to see the no. loser's perspective. No, here actually, I'm going to compare it to the book because this is the thing I actually think the book does better. Hit it in the book. He's the guy because he's some he's some student. Everybody who lives in the oasis is trying to win the game. Always they say that in the movie. Yeah, let me finish. Okay, sorry. I'm being really combative. (laughs) He lives on the student planet, which doesn't exist in the movie. He's trapped there, and it's established that that the game is specifically set up so that a nobody kid can get started and actually figure it out because he wanted just some kid to do it. In the movie, that's that's not something unique to him. He goes out he's with everybody else they're doing the race and stuff he is not special in any way in the movie to give him a leg up and once he starts on that road he actually is not the guy it's established that he figures out the first key but everybody else keeps beating him and he keeps falling behind at the end he's able to do it because he he played a perfect game of pac-man and got lucky but that's not in the movie but that's what i'm saying is that the movie has no the movie decided that he is going to be the chosen one for no reason at all. He just happens to be No, I don't think the only I think guy. you're misreading it. I don't think he's supposed to be the Messiah. He's not Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker. They say that specifically. They in, specifically what, in, say you're the only one the who can do this thing cuz you're the only one who understands Halliday. And why is that true? Because he won the key, David. No, cuz it he, doesn't no. I think No, that has nothing to do with it. It was because of it's supposed to be because he shares a connection with the guy. No, I think it's cuz he put in the work cuz they they talk about how the li- the library kind of used to be really packed and and popular and that over time people stopped going there, but he kept going and he kept doing the research and like working at it and just never but Why? I agree. Why did he do that? Why like I think 
that's from a character perspective. I think for I don't us, know who the guy we is. get to kind of project the reason why. Like for me, it's because he was um, lonely and didn't have anything better to do. And like this really felt like his shot to get out of that trailer with that deadbeat aunt and abusive boyfriend. And I think his context was motivating him because he didn't have any better option i mean it might it might be like maybe to explain it a little bit the point you made about spielberg i think he's a kid who is really passionate about halliday and his world and he made some good decisions and success came his way and he became the chosen one because of his success but i don't think there's there's any sense that he's like a messiah yeah i don't think there's anything special about him except that he got lucky and that that's kind of how life works like we're all pretty insignificant some of us just get a break and some of us don't okay I, it sounds like i'm harping on that one point i'm saying overall as a character i just don't get who he is like right. i don't understand he's almost like the tom cruise of uh <laughs> of ready player yeah I, I just don't feel like there's an inner life with any of those characters wait like the, maybe the girl artemis. maybe art no i said maybe artemis but even her it's like her tra- welcome or- to the resistance wade and it's like oh there's a resistance you lead a resistance and it's like oh don't worry about that we're literally never gonna David, that was my number one least favorite part of that whole movie yeah, I know, right? What is up with that? All right, that's valid. That's a valid weakness. Because yeah. <laughs> in the book, spoiler alert, he doesn't meet Artemis until the very last scene. And I was really disappointed that they changed that because I felt like it was so much better that they never got to see each other. And I get like, okay, it's a movie. They got to have a car chase. And a car chase is a lot easier if everyone's together in person. But... Mm-hmm. um. I just felt like there was something pretty powerful about them not meeting until it was over and seeing if they would still choose to be together. That, that might be like a, a Spielberg vehicle thing. Like that's a classic Hollywood cinema. Well, you need like you need Indy and um, what's Indy's girlfriend? Uh, Karen. Oh, the actress's name is Karen. I can't remember her name in the movie. Um, Marion. Marion. It, it, it just felt like, yeah, it did remind me of Indy and Marion. And I was like. I wanted to see that played out digitally and um, and a big a big point of tension in the book that I really liked was like their relationship. She cut him off for a really long time and then they, they kind of became competitors with one another as opposed to um, strictly allies. And they lived in that tension of like, I, I wish Wade would have... Um, I wanted more exploring the idea of do I hook up with people or do I do this by myself? Yeah. And I, I would, I, I think those are valid criticisms. Like the narrative, the storytelling isn't very courageous. It's not very outside of the box. Yeah. That's but, a good way to put it. But I think um, it fits into what they're trying to do because all those eighties movies were very predictable and weren't very outside of the box. And that's why it felt like those movies. And so the point you're making about the girl, like, I think they probably decided they wanted to have a love interest the whole time because that's like a classic Hollywood cinema. And there's a love interest in the book. I think what I wanted was H, um, Artemis, and Par. How do you say it? Parzival? Parzival. Parzival? Parzival with a Z. With H, Parzival, Artemis, um, the other two guys. for them, like the the whole notion of teaming up was a really big deal for them because Gunther's were really about like, especially them, like I'm doing this by myself. I'm gonna win it alone, and I just felt like the movie missed out on a, a great opportunity to talk about 
the isolation of the inherent isolation of this endeavor and even Halliday's isolation as a, as a man. So it, it was disappointing to me that they didn't camp out on the isolation more. Cause yeah, no, that's a massive theme. In the I book think VR is the like movie. the number one, most ice. Like it's, it's this weird isolating act. Um, yeah. That I, I think yep. wasn't really it's the, yeah. the illusion of, he of, even, uh, he even did VR in community in like the community of that van and they just like watched him. So the the thing yeah. the things you guys are talking about are kind of the kinds of things that we would expect someone like Kubrick to do. The kind of decisions somebody like that would make. I don't actually expect okay. that yeah. of um Spielberg especially at this point in his career. He's not making those kinds of decisions anymore. So it's not surprising mm. that it was like more of a cookie cutter formula. But also again that that's part of why I liked it. Because those eight, those eighties and early nineties movies were relatively cookie cutter, and that's why it felt true to those times. Yeah, yeah. For what it's worth, I actually don't think it's a, a negative that the movie doesn't do that. Like the movie was trying to do its own thing. What I do think is a negative is that the movie does not actually succeed in doing what it was trying to do, which what? is explain in any way why all of this pop culture stuff matters. Like we don't like the the age the character is like. I built an iron giant. Now I'm going to use it and kill a bunch of people or, you know, virtual people, whatever. Oh, I totally, like, I, again, like I disagree the, with you. The backstory of how that, no, but ha- like, Holiday, what, did, what, what does character- all this stuff mean to the characters? Like, I, I don't need them to break it down like every single thing, but like a sense of like, why do you like Akira and you like the DeLorean? I can explain it. Okay. You go. Why? I can yeah. explain it. Okay. okay. So, you got to think of the world. The world is in dire straits. There's no more fossil fuels. Everyone's really struggling with poverty. Yeah. And um, the Oasis is, for it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? The Oasis right. is the golden ticket. So for people that are in a place of, you know, disprivilege, and they have this chance to become owner of the most profitable thing in the world right now, that incentive, the egg, is going to motivate people to get into this pop culture. And since yeah, and since they grew up with it, they kind of grew up with this challenge. Um, it's 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 not like it's so unsatisfying an answer, though. No, I know, but it, it's just like the societal pressure of um, Halliday's challenge informed these kids' lives their whole lives. So, like, I think if Halliday hadn't put the challenge out. You're probably right. H wouldn't be an Iron Giant fan, and he wouldn't be yeah, yeah. a pop culture savant. Like, and but, and IOI wouldn't have hired all those nerds to like work for them. You know. See, I don't know. But here's the I, thing. I disagree. Well, um, what well, I actually agree with almost all the things that Russ just said. Nice. But I would add another piece to answer David's question. I think Halliday's character does what you're saying didn't ha- like. He explains why the pop culture. They can't do they, they can't do that with every single character in a two hour movie. So I think they do it with Halliday. Like they they explain in very really deep ways why the pop culture was so important to Halliday. Yeah, no, I I mean I understand that on like that level. But what I'm saying is, I would like to know. I just okay. This goes back to the character thing. The characters in this movie were nothing. They're so boring, bland. I want to see. Like, that was such an easy opportunity to say, this character likes these things. This is what these things reflect about them. Bam, you have a character there. Let's move forward and just see what they do. 
like everything was just random. You could have just mixed up these things and handed them out. Like you like this, you like this, you like this, you like this. It was, it was nothing. Like like what did this movie offer me? Like what did what did this story tell me that has any relevance to my life in the real world? Like it, nothing. What spe- as far as that stuff is. What specific concerned? thing about uh, war games like really connected with? Wade Watts, like that's what you're looking for. Yeah, like for. why does he love war games? Yeah, like, why does he love the movie Lady Hawk? They spend so much of the book talking about that. It's so, the same problem. So, in the book David, too. let me ask you this: Do yeah. Back to the Future and Goonies work that way? For me, yeah, the demands you're placing on Re- Ready Player yeah. One. Do those movies do those things? Because I don't. I, well, I mean, but but those movies are not about pop culture this movie is about pop culture and it has nothing to say about it i think ready player one doesn't give you enough clues whereas i think zemeckis and spielberg back in the day like they were better at giving you clues where you can kind of connect the dots in your mind where this one it i think david's saying it's harder it was harder for him to connect the dot i think i think david you're like you're demanding too much of it narratively like i think what those movies in the eighties and nineties did was they were just, um, they were experiences of like joy. Um, and like, I don't think they were that, that rigidly constructed the narratives and the stories and the characters. It was just, oh, it was I, about no, entering totally into a world and experiencing joy. And I think that this, that's what this movie was too. David, say that again. I, I, I disagree with that. Actually. I think that those movies are very rigidly constructed and that's what allows them the freedom to do so much is that at their core, they're very structured stories. I think that you have to have the good skeleton there. Like Back to the Future, like, you know, we were just talking about this. Structurally, on a screenplay level, like, it is so meticulously crafted. Everything is so... Everything pays off or foreshadows something or or goes to creating a feeling that is important or something yeah. like that. But you, you never learn why Doc Brown and Marty are friends. Like, how does an old man and a teenage boy... You don't have to know that. That's not what the movie's about. The movie is about generations. It's about uh, how we perceive different different time periods. So, the movie... Why do you need it, one is about do you need it for Wade Watts? Pop culture. Sorry, go again. Why do you need it for Wade Watts? Because Ready Player One is a movie about pop culture. And the movie has very little to say about what pop culture means to the consumer. It has stuff to say about what it means to the creator like that. I'm right. yeah, I understand that that was in my, my pro that, that would go back. That would go back to what I said. I, I think it's arbitrary, but like pop cult, that specific niche of pop culture got popular because of Halliday. So the only right. reason Wade's into it is because Halliday's into it. So I think Spielberg was like, let's explore Halliday. And it kind of was at the expense of, I think where it's problematic, though, David, where you're right, is that Wade Watts is our protagonist. Exactly. And if yeah. we don't get a little bit more, I could see how it's hard to kind of latch on to him. He, and, and here's like, what I I'm saying also. I don't think I totally disagree with the points you're making. I just think you're um, overstating them. Um, I don't think they're as, it's, it's as weak as you're saying it is. Like, I don't think these characters are as empty as you're saying they are. Like, um, the girl... Um, She's passionate about the resistance and defying the company. Whatever that is. Um, because because her dad was killed because he was a forced yeah. laborer and he was killed as a result. So I think that's significant. And they do give us something with it, it, um, the main character's aunt and the boyfriend and having no family and the poverty he lives in. 
I just I, I just felt like the whole resistance thing was this movie is about people and the book about people living in isolated VR scenarios. So like the whole notion to me of these like street gangs just felt like totally with like a garden on the roof. Like just felt totally I th- that part of the movie was just like I think that's valid. Like, oh my I think you gosh. guys are right about that, that they didn't do enough with that, that they opened up that can and they did nothing with it. Yeah, and it, it was like, a, it felt like a pandering can. Like, let, let's pander to the liberals a little bit with our rooftop garden, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that's okay. valid. Like, they could have dug out, they could have done a lot more with that. Yeah. That could have been, like, rich with story. I think, too, it they missed out on a, like, a big chunk of the book occurs with Wade Watts alone in a cube and that is such a fascinating setting to me and they totally did away with that and I I was just like that was my favorite part of the book actually and I wanted to I don't know I just really wanted more grappling with like how messed up society is that this is how people are living you know so here's what I think the the story was doing narratively is um how um halliday i mean we get a lot about halliday but i think the main character he's striving for significance he's a poor kid with no family a terrible and and the family he does have is pretty terrible he lives in the slums he's so to answer your question david the movie says he's a nobody there's nothing significant about him i could have been a contender he's striving for significance and through his sheer passion and and work and intelligence um, kind of like what Spielberg did with his career, um, he was able to find success. I think that's what the movie's about, and Halliday represents that significance he could have. And so the things you're looking for in the main character we see in Halliday, and um, the main character's trying to do similar things with his life that Halliday did without making the same mistakes Halliday did. I think that's what the story's about. Uh, I mean, that's a fine reading of the movie. I just don't... I think it's totally what it's about. I, and then it's with a celebration of pop culture along the way. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I question whether you're being a little too generous to the movie and, and reading that into it. But I don't that for me personally, that did not feel that satisfying is all I can say. By, by about half an hour away from the end of this movie, I was bored out of my mind. I was like, we get it. I don't care about these characters. I don't care about any of this. Like, I've lost all interest in watching Gundam Wing fight the uh, Mecha Godzilla or whatever. Like, can we please wrap this up? This is a long movie. So, I don't know. That's, Did that's I tell you guys I that I fell asleep in the theater when I was watching this? Really? Yeah. Our, hey, okay. So, talking about... Um, I dozed bo- off during the last... The third act of the movie. I, I also that's got, exactly what I mean. That's yes, exactly what I, I got a little bored during. The so third you guys act. talking about how the movie's bore like long and boring at points? No, 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 no. That's an overstatement. The third act. Yeah. Let's be clear. I, act one, act two. I was with it. Third act, I dozed off. So I'm going to go into my one major critique of the film. Is I thought yeah. that climactic battle scene that felt like it was like 30, 40 minutes long yeah. was just <laughs> terrible and boring. The parts I loved All about right. the movie was everything leading up to that scene and then everything after that battle scene. Um, that part I thought was terrible and I got bored and I wasn't even sure I liked the movie um, at that point <laughs> until they until that scene ended and they went back to what the movie was before that. Oh, wow. Can I ask you guys a, can I ask you guys a legitimate question? Okay. 
Do you remember last week how we were talking about how Wrinkle in Time wasn't made for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think um, moments like that, and like that makes me think of like Transformers or um, kind of the, you know, those like senselessly action-packed CGI movies. Are those movies just not made for us? Or th- is there a segment of society that really, really, really loves that? I think they're just legitimately in- inferior. I mean, I think there's something about being thoughtful about like um, who's fighting who, who's where, what's really at stake. How could a person really get hurt here? That's what was great about Fu- Mad Max Fury Road is like yeah. he meticulously planned and like you have a sense of like stakes. But in that battle scene, there's right. not, none of that. Well, that, that's how The Hobbit felt, too. Like, The Hobbit oh, just felt like... Empty. But why are... Com- like, to make those CGI's, it costs millions of dollars. So, uh, like, somebody likes this. I think people like spectacle. And Dude. it's it's spectacle. Okay. Um, I think that's what it is. I I think that we would not be having this conversation if there was a better character development. I think that's oh, the gosh. root of it. That's what no, I keep saying. I, I think I think if there was character development there, figuring out who these people are, what they really care about, what they're you know just, I think that would create the investment for this. No, game. the point I'm making is it has nothing to do with the characters. It's all about like how the action is constructed and executed. Yeah, it's it's just a different way of constructing. I have, an has nothing scene. to do with the characters for me. Um, I think my, I my think that would have for, for me personally that would have helped. Like just comparing that scene to the to the throne room scene in Last Jedi, it's just like uh, I know they're different contexts, but like no, that's that's valid. I I just think like there's such a beautiful way of doing a climactic battle scene, and I agree. I it lulled me to sleep. So your question about like um, Wrinkle in Time, who's it made for, and those types of scenes, who are they made for? That reminds me of one other thought I had is that um, like so both Brooke and I really love this movie. Um, I I think that nobody can appreciate this movie for what it is the way Gen Xers can. Um, like those of us uh, yeah, who like actually live through the eight, and I don't want to try to sound inferior or like invalidate other people's perspectives. That's <laughs> not what I'm trying to do. But like yeah. n- nobody can uh, like appreciate the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in the same way that ba- baby boomers can. Yeah, I get you. Um, as much as I love them, and I feel like this movie is similar. Like Gen Xers can appreciate it in a way that other generations can't. Because we remember what it was like to watch these movies in the '80s when they were brand new. Yeah, sure, I I, I buy that to a certain and, degree. And yeah. a lot of it has to do like with experiencing things in your adolescence in those formative yeah. years. You know, like baby boomers remember those movies, but they didn't experience them in the same ways that Gen Xers did. Yeah. Here's my uh, last like. So uh, we talked about like what we liked and what we didn't like. This is kind of a comment on something that made me sad. I think um, Spielberg, like, he's a titan, right? Like, he's one of my favorite directors. And I think the way he established that is through iconic scenes. So he made, like, E.T. over the moon, Jurassic Park oh, with the, the jello or with the water. That's not the best. Boom. You know, the boom. But you have to admit, like, the cup scene is, is great. There's so many iconic moments in Jurassic Park. Indiana Jones with the, the bag and the gem. Like, Spiel- that's, that's great. Spielberg is... If he has done anything while well his career, he's made Schindler's List with the ye- yellow flower, like the red, the red, color. the girl in the red. Yeah, sorry, the red I thought color. it was a yellow flower too. Uh, I remember the girl in the red that like. Really I think there's both, out. but anyway, um, 
What was missing from this film was, I think because of remix culture and like the onslaught of nostalgic references, Spielberg had didn't have a moment to create a new iconic moment. So this movie yeah. just kind of, um, I think, I think that's something that I've just been wrestling with, with like when you are doing stuff that's so self-referential and kind of rebooty, um, you miss out on an opportunity to make like a new, a new moment for the, these new audiences. And, uh, it was just kind of disappointing. Like every great moment was a reference. There wasn't like a great moment unto ready player one. I could see that. And I think you can even do the references in a way that's like memorable or iconic. Like I, f- I feel like back to the future referenced the fifties a lot in very memorable and iconic ways. Yeah. And I, I just like was racking my brain, like trying to think of this movie and being like, what moment stood out to me? And the closest I got was the last scene when kind of uh holidays looking like Gandalf and the key is floating and, um, Parzival's floating. Oh, he floats up to get it. Like that—that that was close for me. That move, that moment was in the trailers a lot, but I think that I—I I, I could think of one maybe is um, whenever giant groups of people would die, and then you would see them in real life like fall down, and you'd like you'd like watch like entire rooms of people. Oh yeah, yeah. And the one guy like tried die, to commit that's... suicide, and his friend tackled him. It's yeah. Also the uh, the coin the the first race like when he would op- when he opened his door and all the coins kind of that was cool. Yeah, yeah. I that think was pretty cool. The things I'm going to remember are um, Halliday's character is going to stand out to me, and I think the the yeah. the adventure thing, um, the Easter egg, the yeah. the playing adventure at the end. Those will, I think I'll, those will yeah. stand out to, to me. To reference episode ten though, there wasn't like a magical movie moment for me in this movie, okay. and also the stacks. I that really captured yeah. me. In the in the beginning, also David, just I just wanted to yeah. say when I was watching this, I saw like lo- like plot holes and problems in the narrative, and I I thought to okay. myself, I don't care, I love what this movie's doing. David's gonna hate this. I knew <laughs> I knew you were gonna hate it. Um, I I knew you were gonna hate it, and um, so I wanted to love it. Also, the pacing is just awful. I disagree with the pace. I thought it was paced well. There was pa- no time to breathe totally in this fine. movie. The third act. Is long, but da- no, no, no. When you say his, the third act, family dies. About the same scene as he me, forgets. The big battle scene. It's yeah. It's like um, kind of after yeah. The bit basically yeah. When he's like, everybody, it's me, Wade Watts. I live in Ohio. Let's go attack. Oh, I agree. The planet. But then when it, when when Wade is um, playing adventure to the end, it gets good again. Yeah, yeah. Well, the part I fell asleep at basically. <laughs> That's fair. All right. David, anything else? I, I have a, a an epilogue for us. The opening title was a massive wasted opportunity. Oh, and the end credits. So boring. Yeah. What why you have so many things you could draw on. Yeah, maybe they should have the, done it the, like the Stranger Things and uh David um, Good Time. I'm so glad you mentioned that. They were so boring. I got to the theater so... like I tried to make sure I got there on time because I was like, oh, the credits are gonna be great. That's Spielberg, though. No, it felt it felt like 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 filler tech, like a placeholder. No. I think Spielberg is just so conventional now. No, but I don't think he makes interesting choices. He's like made that, some cool know. titles. I mean, in the eighties and nineties, I think he's totally conventional yeah, no. now. He's like, you know how like old people kind of get burnt out. He's just kind of like old. 
But I see what you guys are saying. Like, um, Stranger Things, every time those credits happen. <laughs> and then good. It's so basic, but it's so good. Yeah. Good time. Good time was like that, too. Good time was great. You saw good yeah. time? It was so, yeah. yeah, really simple, but really good. Yeah, great. it was really good. And then um, um, Fear the Walking Dead has really cool opening credits. Have you seen that? Interesting. No. Yeah, I David, haven't. I've never agreed with you more. Hashtag David's Law. Missed opportunity. <laughs> um, hashtag David. That's it. That's all I have to say. All right. Anything else, guys? We should close it down. All right. Let me just end with this. My heart felt like it was on fire. <laughs> I took a moment to work up my courage. Then I reached out and took her hand. We sat there a while holding hands, reveling in the new strange sensation of actually touching one another. Sometime later, she leaned over and kissed me. It felt just like all those songs and poems had promised it would. It felt wonderful, like being struck by lightning. So (laughs) David's friends, when you say that this is David as a book, that's the insult that you're throwing at him. (laughs) David, you are not that poorly written, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, people people told me that this book reminded me of yeah, them. Or them I'm sorry. People have said that? Yeah. This book is a... It, uh, several Ready people. Player One's a cool concept, but man, it was a really bad book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that might be what I loved about it so much is I actually like see the world through pop culture and like see the world through pop culture references, and maybe that's oh, why yeah. I love no, it. So you and Ernst no, would have been too. buds. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't feel like they captured what that was exactly. I don't know. I I don't want to harp on that. All but right. all right, guys. Well, let's uh, let's end this um, episode like we like to do with something that we love this week. Who wants to go first? I can go. I I'm a sucker for dystopian and post-apocalyptic pop culture books Preach. and TV shows and movies. So in the last week. Um, I saw Blade Runner 2049, Ready Player mm-hmm. One, and A Quiet Place. The The Walking Dead is currently my favorite TV show. I'm just I really yeah, I just can't get enough of well-made dystopian and post-apocalyptic culture. Um it, then why do you watch The Walking Dead? Cuz I think <laughs> that's brutal. I think I think for me, it's uh, imagining what life would be like in these extreme circumstances and the remnants of like our world um, tracking you the whole time. So that that fate that that memory of the way things were and then like what will things be in that dystopian mm-hmm. and post-apocalyptic. Ha- have you world. guys heard of uh, the podcast Dirty John? No. no. Okay. Well, I, it's very easily spoiled, so I'm not gonna get too into it. But it's basically about like this. It's like a true crime story and the walking dead plays a huge role at the end of the podcast. It's like a seven episode kind of serial kind of thing. Do you recommend it? It's oh, awesome. Wait. It's awesome. Dirty John. I think I might know. I think I might've heard about yeah, that. Yeah. And the, the walking dead just plays a really poignant role in the, in the end of the story. So I, I'd recommend it. Okay, cool. But David, you were about to rip on Casey for the walking dead. I won't. I'll let the rest of pop. No, no, just real briefly. What what what's bad about Walking Dead? It doesn't go anywhere. It cycles the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and I'm just so sick of the idea that like, oh no, society fell apart. How will we ever build a new society? Because everybody is gonna eat each other. And it's like we built societies over and over again throughout oh, history. Man. Why is it again, like this? Time I think you're we totally missing the boat. You're totally misunderstanding <laughs> Walking Dead. Yes. The the Walking Dead is about um 
like what is human nature like when there isn't rules? Yeah, no. And I, it's I'm also about. about community and relationships, like building deep community and relationships in um, extreme circumstances. That's what's powerful about that show. That's what I love about it. All right. Um, but uh, A Quiet Place, I recommend the movie. I think is really good. John Krasinski, I think, is learning to how to be a, a good director. Um, I love the world he created there. Pretty captivating. And I was blown away by Blade Runner 2049. I, did not ex- I didn't like the original movie that much. I thought it was beautiful, no. but I didn't really like the story or the characters. Um, but Blade Runner 2049 just captivated me. I'm still going off that those fumes. We got to do a Blade Runner episode where we talk about both. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had Blade Runner as my number. Yeah, I had Blade Runner as my number five of the year. But the more time goes on, the more I'm realizing that that movie is sticking with me more than any other. Oh wow! From the year. All right. Uh, so. Here's something I love. Um, and I don't love her as a person. I love the concept of her as an actress, but <laughs> I'm going with I'm going with Olivia Cook because I saw okay. Ready Player One and I saw um, Thoroughbreds a couple days ago, mm. and uh, she also get a, gave a great performance in Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Um, I think she's one of the top. I was kind of thinking about who are the best actors and actresses under 30 i agree and i was having a really hard time with uh, male actors but in terms of female actors um olivia cook uh saoirse ronan and um anya taylor johnson i'm gonna make a list of 10 is she the other one in thoroughbreds yeah she's great i think they're just all um i'm really i'm kind of looking out for like who's gonna be this next generation of kind of academy award winning actors and i think those three all have i mean saoirse ronan's already won but um those three would be on my list too i those are the ones that jumped they're great but olivia cook like um she's i hope she doesn't get typecast as like kind of the the deadpan sassy one because she's kind of played that in all three of these movies but she she's british so i think she's also been in like some period dramas and things like that that i'm interested in in well the witch was really great performance olivia cook's not in the witch Oh, that's Anya. That's the other girl. I was thinking Anya. Okay. No. Um uh she's in like some British prestige oh, man. television. That The Witch, that movie haunts me still every time I think about it. It's a cool movie. It just just the re- remembering it disturbs me. Yeah. So yeah, Olivia Cook, uh good work in Ready Player 1 and having the most attractive birthmark of all time. That's another weakness of that movie, I think. Yeah, we didn't talk about yeah. that, but that whole like, oh my, that was my me. birthmark makes me ugly. It's, and then you see her, and you're like, it's like really? That looks like a tattoo, man. Yeah, it's it's like a dope face tattoo. It's even worse in the book because in the book they specifically are like, she looks exactly like her avatar. She just also has a birthmark. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, oh boy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Should I read more from the book? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. My thing I'm loving. Uh, I'm gonna join Casey and say. Uh, I just saw a good, or not a good place, a quiet place. <laughs> That's great too. Good place. <laughs> it's all right. Aww. And I, hey, 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 we're talking about what we love. And I loved a quiet place. That movie was just riveting from the beginning to the end. I loved the the pacing of it. It was a, such a slow burn. And then when it kicked into high gear, it was just relentless until the end of the movie. 
it was it was just like some good some good old fashioned filmmaking storytelling. It was effective. It had great performances. Those kids, the one kid who just has to be terrified nonstop of everything, he like sold that so well. Like especially the scenes where you you have the sister's perspective and um, she's deaf, so she can't hear, and you just have to go off of like the expression of the kid to sell like the terror going on around around her. Like that stuff was so well done. Russ is hating. I was this just right so now. into this movie. Are you hating this? No, why? Why do you say that? How much he's going into a movie you haven't seen? No, no, I'm trying to not listen, but um, I'm still debating. Oh, sorry. I'm still debating if I'm going to see this. Actually, when David was talking, I was thinking Russ needs to watch it, and we need to make our next episode of Quiet Place because because okay. there's a lot I want to talk about with that movie. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not doing spoiler. Like, there's no I didn't have any spoiler stuff in there. I'm just talking about pacing and is theme. it like that movie had me so stressed out the whole time it. Yeah. I felt like the tension was taut from start to finish. I'm gonna. S- it was. Oh, I loved it. Yes. It so I would great. see it alone. Like, am I gonna be totally freaked out? It's scary. So, I thought it was scary. I. It. It's. Is it thrilling or like Eli Roth? Out. Like you're not. You're not gonna be afraid that like something's gonna grab your feet or something. I don't. Think. Okay. No, it's not it's scary just a like that. Movie. I think you're stressed out for the people in the movie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll see it. It's it's a tense movie. Yeah. Okay. It's on my list. So, so I'm just I'm a Freddy cat. So, <laughs> like I I knew it was gonna be my kind of movie, but I was I was pleasantly surprised at how my kind of a movie it was. And it seems to be everyone's kind because apparently it's number one at the box office. So good was for it them. hard to see Jim from the Office not with Pam, or like did that not play an, play a factor? You no, know, I, I managed he, to he get over job. it. <laughs> I was hoping. It, I I feel like it would have been better to have Pam. Who's Who's the actress in there? His wife, Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Are they married in real life? Yeah, they love yeah. each other. They were both really good in this. Well, they're they they're love in love. No, I mean um, the act, the performances they do. Like I was really impressed with John Krasinski. John, okay, John Krasinski loves Emily Blunt as much as I love you too. And let's let's end on that note. I just I love you guys. I'm glad we saw Ready Player One. Love you too. I'm glad we recorded an eleventh episode. Hey, so. We're not gonna take it. No, we ain't gonna take it. That honestly, every time I hear that song now, I think about that scene. I will say that. How many times have you heard that song since you've seen the movie? <laughs> uh, I've been to a few parties, so <laughs> you are popular, man. David's yeah, the yeah, yeah. popular. So, all right, guys. Without uh, further ado, as always, um. Check us out on Twitter at Film Lovers Pod. Leave us a review on iTunes, five stars if you prefer. And if you're a sponsor, consider sponsoring us with money. Movie Pass, it'd be good for your business to sponsor us. So uh, we'll be back with episode 12. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about A Quiet Place. But until then, I am Russell Dietrich. I'm Casey Summers. I'm David Ryan Anderson. Logging out of the Oasis. Thank you for listening to the Film Lovers Podcast. To feel the love and to find out more information, please visit us online at filmloverspodcast.com. We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. 
And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. And I just had... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello.